today is Pentecost. Uh, and interestingly, not fortuitously, the fourth message of this five-message series on the Holy Spirit was actually on the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts, and also on Pentecost to a minor degree. And Pentecost is 50 days, that's where the word penta comes from, five, but then 50 days after the Passover, or Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's also called the Feast of Harvest of the First Fruits. And it's also called the Feast of Weeks. They're different names. And Pentecost is one of the three feasts. If you look at Old Testament, that the Jewish males and obviously the family were commanded to come to Jerusalem with. One was Passover. Second was the Feast Pentecost, or Feast of Weeks. And the third was actually the Feast of Tabernacles, or Boots. And out of interest, there's one feast we will celebrate in heaven. And the only feast we will celebrate in heaven is the Feast of Tabernacles or Boots, according to Scripture. And many don't understand that. So I'd encourage you to read about the Feast of Boots. Let's just activate it. The message today is three-part. One is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which is 2,000 years, over 2,000 years ago. And that's the sovereign act of God into the heart of a believer. The second is spiritual gifts. And the concept, I just want to leave one word as an outline of spiritual gifts is serving one another. Serving one another, this edification of the body, etc. But the focus I want to understand is serving one another. And the third component is expression of those gifts or exercise of those gifts. And the key is love. We can have all the gifts, but without love, it is worthless, as 1 Corinthians 13 says. Three aspects, very simple aspects that we'll delve in and discuss in detail. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. There's a verse missing here, Acts 1.5, but gathering, this is Jesus talking, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. So this is a promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me in John 14 and 15, that we discussed in the preceding series. But you, verse uh, 5, which is missing, is John baptized with water, but I will baptize with the Holy Spirit, which will be coming from God. And verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So we see promise of the Holy Spirit, originating from the Father, sent out in the name of the Father and name of Jesus Christ. So dual sending out, Father and Son sending out the Holy Spirit, not one. And will be received, which we received in the heart of people. That's where it's not on the ears, but in the heart, the inner being. And you will receive power. And then you will be my witnesses. Just out of interest, the word power in dunamis in the Greek is 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The word of the cross is the power of God. 1.24, Christ, Jesus Christ, the power and wisdom of God. The resurrection of Christ, power of God. Ascension is ultimately the power of God. Romans 1, 6, Romans 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew first, Greek. So you're talking about this power, and this power is manifested in many diverse ways that we'll go on and discuss. So we're talking about not human power, but spiritual power. Spiritual power. 
accorded to the disciples and then subsequently those believers. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. I just want to focus on a couple of words drawing attention. All together, one place. Unity. And you're going to see that all together, one place, unity, persistently. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It's interesting. They're just saying of this wind, breathe inward, and they talked about that violent storm. Well, the wind in the, in the Greek is pnoe, which is basically breathe. And from that, there's a word pneuma, which is spirit. So we see that's the breath coming out. And it's coming up from heaven, a noise like a violent, but there's a noise here. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. There's the each one of them again. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So what you see here is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is not an Old Testament uh, uh, understanding or dispensation. Filling occurs in the Old Testament. So baptism is a new dispensation in New Testament from that concept. Old Testament is filling with the Spirit. New Testament starts off with baptism, where we baptized. And you, so, you, so you see the tongues of fire rested on each one of them. And then you see the manifestations filled with Holy Spirit and the manifestations of that speaking with other tongues. So the tongues is a manifestation of the Spirit. So let's look at that word. What are tongues of fire? It doesn't say tongues of fire, as, which is a, which is a simile. So it appeared like a fire. Fire is the presence of God. Understanding fire is the presence of God. Fire is also purification. But if you start looking at Old Testament and look at Genesis 15, here you see the Lord communing and having fellowship and talking with uh, Abraham. And he talks to Abraham, and Abraham says, I'm childless. And God takes Abraham out, and he says, look up the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be numbered. And it says, Abraham believed in God, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. God, Abraham believed absolutely in the message of God based without seeing any visible manifestation of this. And he's believing that he will be the sense of multiple people. And it says God attributed him righteousness. Romans 5 and Romans 1 where we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus on us. Similar concept. And if you look at uh, Exodus 3, Moses, at least uh, Moses, out rearing sheep, comes to the west of uh, Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, and he sees this bush burning by fire. And he looks at it because he says, The bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And out of that bush of burning fire came the voice of God. And he turned and he walked to him and God said to him, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. And that understanding of fire and holiness is God is a holy God. It's not to be trifled. Holiness is not to be trifled with. And therefore sin cannot be tolerated. And so you see that the most important aspect of the character of God out of interest in teaching is holiness. So we need to come to God every day with repentance, asking for forgiveness, so that we then yielded and submitted, and then we have to act out holiness. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit working of. And they arrested them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The saying here, filled with the Holy Spirit, is in the Greek I work in the Greek, go into English, but I only use it in certain circumstances. It means pemplemi, hagio, nuotos. 
There's two words in being filled. One is the pimpleni and the other is plereo, P-L-E-R-O-O. So when you're talking about filled with the Holy Spirit in 518, that is a plero. And this filling occurs, it's this filling of the Holy Spirit is a sovereign act of God. That's important to understand. This is an act of God. And the manifestation of the Spirit was giving utterance of other tongues, which means they were speaking in known languages, known languages, but the speaker was not aware or understanding of that language. So tongues here is a known language. And then look at the response. So the focus on Pentecost is mainly on the Holy Spirit power outpouring. But one equally important aspect, which is the key, what Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, is the message of the gospel of salvation. And that is many times not focused on. The focus is the power and the Holy Spirit. Because look at uh, Peter comes and says, these people who are listening can hear their these disciples who come from Nazarene, and people from Nazarene were considered to be, how would I put it, worthless, poor, uneducated. But they were listening and they were hearing in their own languages. People from Phrygia, Asia Minor, Turkey, Egypt, Pampilia, different nations, because they were the Jews of the diaspora, gone to those areas persecuted, gone to those areas, living, and they were speaking those languages. And they could understand him in their own languages. And they were confused, they were amazed, and, and, and some, they didn't know what this meant. Some said they were drunk with wine. And so what Peter gets up and watch what he does, he takes the gospel of salvation and shares that. And you see the power of the gospel of salvation of Jesus Christ Death, burial, resurrection, ascension in bringing about conversion into belief and trust in Christ. This man, talking about Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Before the foundation, what that means, coming from the Greek, is before the foundation of the earth, God knew the will of man. We knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. And before the foundation knew and was decided amongst Godhead that a Savior had to be sent to rescue us and deliver us from the eternal death, sin, and eternal separation from God. This was predetermined. So that was a plan of God to put Jesus Christ on the cross. It's not the plan of man. But the, the instrument to put the nails and to put the thorns were men, godless men. So he said, you nail to the cross godless men and put him to death. Men were thinking they had victory. But God raised him up. That's the resurrection, again, under the power of the Holy Spirit, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. God Jesus Christ, revelation of God in the flesh, had complete power. Creator, Colossians, beside God and the Holy Spirit of the entire universe. Creator, controller, but had to become as the sacrificial lamb at that perfect sinless offering to take my sin and your sin and the sin of the world onto himself. And through that sin, Death and resurrection, death has now been overcome. The power and control of the evil one in us is overcome if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Amen. Power and control. So death has lost its power. Sin has lost its power. Jesus on that cross defeated that. Are we able to sin? Yes. And we talked about our position last week. Our position is child of God, imputed righteousness, deemed holy, etc., etc. That's our positional truth. But we are prone to sin, prone to temptation because of our flesh, because we still have the Adamic nature in it. 
regenerated bodies, but like we talked last week, but we still have that. So there's a spiritual battle, and we'll talk about that next week. Next week is a, how would I put it, a pretty interesting message for each of us. Sin versus spirit. Flesh versus sin, uh, spirit. So, exalted the right hand of God, received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is poured out for this which you both see and hear. So the, what they're seeing and what they're hearing is the manifestation of the Spirit. The provision, the Jehovah Jireh, the provision of the Holy Spirit to live in them and therefore give, empower them from the inside and change their, our hearts and minds. So you see the amazing aspect. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Pierced to the heart is they were under conviction by the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8, eight we did that in the first, uh, in the, yeah, the first uh, mess, second message. The Holy Spirit comes from the Father and Jesus convicts the world of three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. The judgment is the judgment of Satan, but sin and righteousness. Conviction means gives understanding. We did that last week. Illumination in the heart, the inner being of a believer to have understanding of me as sinner, God as savior, looking at myself, the need for me to have forgiveness for my sin, the free gift of sin taken away and eternal life provided by that Savior. Then receiving Christ into my heart, the reception. And then filled with the Holy Spirit, being then a child of God, pierced to the heart. So there was under spiritual conviction. Here I just want to make a note. We have no power in ourselves and of ourselves. It is the, only the power of the Holy Spirit. God draws, I've said that before, and you draws to Jesus. And that's our message. Our message is focused not on ourselves, but Jesus. And the Spirit, if that person is going to be a sinner, is going to be saved, the Spirit brings conviction, illumination, understanding in the heart of that person. To realize acknowledgement, sin, savior, put my trust and faith. And our decision in that process is faith, belief. Why do I say that? It's because we call to share the gospel. Romans 1.16 already said that. Not ashamed of the gospel. Well, I don't, practically you don't see Believers sharing the gospel, either because of fear or fear of rejection. But you've got to understand, we did that second message, John 15, 26. There's a dual witness here. When we witness, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit witnessing and me witnessing. And so that understanding is when people reject what I offer them, it's, they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting God. But people say, well, I'm afraid of what they will think, or afraid of what they will say, or they will reject me. If you're not sharing the gospel, you're ashamed of the gospel. There's no two ways to hide around that statement. So, we've got to understand, we're going forth. Our work is to be a messenger, that's all. When I'm sharing the Bible, I am being a messenger, an instrument for God to provide that flowing out of the Word of God under the influence of Spirit. And that's what God has gifted me, teaching. teaching. So you see that call, brethren, what shall we do immediately? Repent, baptize in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will you shall receive, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's a parenthetical uh, aspect in that verse because you repent of your sin 
you then believe and put your trust in Jesus, and the baptism follows subsequently. So you don't get baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That's a parenthetical expression coming from the Greek. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you believe, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You regenerated. You brought and be baptized into the body of Christ. You're given a new character, a new set of values immediately. And what we'll be talking about gifts is expected that you're going to get your gifts at the same time. So this... So they, then those who received this word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. Very simple message. Power of the Holy Spirit. That's Pentecost. The actual discussion now on spiritual gifts. I, close, I have several close friends, both pastors and Baptist churches and pastors and Pentecostal churches, and I get the blessing of being able to, in the previous, teach and preach in Baptist and Pentecostal churches. And the spiritual gifts is one of the least taught aspects of the Holy Spirit. And the reason is there's so much division and dissension as to the understanding of the spiritual gifts. Three things I want to share. Spiritual gifts are given to equip, equipping up the saints for the work of service. There's the word service. Edification or building up of the body of Christ and to glorify God. I shared, as I go back in December, glory of God. To, to God, the cross was the glory. To Jesus, on the cross, he glorified God. Contrast to what men think of the, or women think of the cross, the entire glory of God was manifest on that cross. cross. We, want, we called, our primary purpose is called to glorify God. The primary purpose of Jesus on earth, as I expressed then, is to glorify God. The primary purpose, as I shared in John of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. And our primary purpose is to glorify God above all else. So what this is saying, one of the manifestations, one of the consequences of having spiritual gifts is ultimately to glorify God. And if you're not using the spiritual gift you're given, you are not glorifying God with that gift he's given you. He can give you, you can glorify God in different ways, but the gift is what he has given you, if not using it, is you not using that to glorify God. When you talk of spiritual gifts, there are three understandings of spiritual gifts. Very different. One is spiritual gifts are present. Two, all spiritual gifts are completely absent. And the third aspect is Spiritual, some spiritual gifts are present and other spiritual gifts are absent. So you've got three diverging understandings that separates us as division of different denominations. I'm going to use this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then Face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will fully know fully, just as I have been fully known. Our knowledge of God and His Word will, and all the aspects of God and His Word will be only fully, fully known in heaven when we get there with glorified bodies. Until then, there is knowledge in part. That's preface to what I am going to share. So there's clear differentiations between divisions and different. From my understanding of Scripture, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are present today. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit are present today. Background. 
Number one, God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he can activate any gift that he chooses to please. Second, last week I discussed that 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God is spirit-breathed. Spirit-breathed. Explanation that the men of God, they were carried along or borne along by under the influence of the Holy Spirit to speak and to write the word of God. That's the means, how it occurred. So if we say the word is inerrant, and Jesus said in Matthew, talking about the entire Old Testament, not a jot or a tittle, that's in the Hebrew, can be removed from this word. Means not a stroke, or even the jot is a dot over the eye, if you can understand. Can be removed from this word. So we can't add to the word, we can't subtract for the word. So we gotta understand the inerrancy of the word. And so when I'm looking at here is where in scripture do I clearly see that all the gifts or part of the gifts are no longer valid or no longer present? And there isn't in New Testament scripture that specific aspect. So bearing in mind, some have said the gifts are no longer, certain gifts are no longer valid. Others have said all the gifts are not present. But the background I've given you of the sovereignty of God and the inerrancy of the word of God, I'm left that one day we may have difference of opinion, but we'll know the truth when we get to heaven. And until that day, if we truly have all the Holy Spirit living in us, and we are born of the Spirit, then there's one word, even though we may have difference of opinions and understanding, there has to be unity. And that's the whole problem in the church today. The problem is not the world. The devil will bring us to look at the world, but forget about the world. The world has no power, has no Spirit of God dwelling in them. Christians who believers, not Christians, but believers in Christ, who profess belief, are the ones with the problem. If you look at the church today, and you see the division in the church, and you see the different philosophies of what is marriage, and what is sex, and the culture of the world coming into the church, the problem is the church and our division, not the world. The world has no power over us if we have the Holy Spirit of God. We are children of God. We have imputed righteousness. We are sanctified, set apart, and believers. The world has no power of us. devil has no power of us unless we want to yield and be tempted, and, and we do that. But the world doesn't have any power in us. So the problem is not, and this is the setting now to talk of spiritual gifts. There are four spiritual gifts passages, the bulk, which is the focus on this message is going to be 1 Corinthians. It's actually 12 to 14. We just focus on 12. Second, Ephesians 4, 11, 12, extending into 13. Third, Romans 12, 6, 8. And the fourth is 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11. I'm going to start with 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11. This is not a you would say, people would say, well, Corinthians will want to start. I'm going to start with 1 Peter 4.10 because it lays out, it doesn't talk about really specific gifts, but it lays out the entire understanding of gifts. I work word by word, exegetical, and I'm just going to use certain words in the Greek, not all, but just certain words to point out. As each one has received a special gift, Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, it is to do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, in all things, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.
I'm going to look at at least eight words. I just want to focus your attention. This is how I break down the word. And so I'm going to focus your attention so you'll have absolute, clear understanding of each of our of gifts and our activation of the gifts. First, each one means everyone. Everyone who professes to be a believer has the spirit of God in him, has a spiritual gift. It doesn't say the number. It could be one or two, or each one has one, could be two or three. But we know, as we'll come to, not all believers, no believer has all the gifts. Each one. So each one, so no one can claim they do not have a gift. And the, what when you look at review of Christian churches, there's a large percentage of them do not recognize they have a gift. And secondly, those who have a gift, many times are not using that gift. And the third aspect to those who have a gift and use a gift, there's one important humble aspect. The gift is not my possession. And it's not used for self-glory or self-puffing up or pride. This is the work of God, not me. Gift. Gift in the Greek is charisma. C-H-A-R-I-S-M-A. And it arises, there's another word linked to that, is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S in the Greek, which is grace. Grace. And you see that word there, grace, there in that manifold grace of God, grace. So the gift should be construed and understood as a gift of grace given to you. Charis, grace, charisma, given, spiritual gift. Employ it, employ it, employ it, employ it. That's the next word I'll look at. And the next word, serving one another, phrase. And the next word, stewards. I want to look at two words first before getting to the serving. Employ it. What does employ it mean in the Greek? Exercise it. Do you know that, if I can break this down, do you know that we all employed? Even the young are employed. And the, there's no retirement in the old. So we really employ, when you're an employee of an organization, you're working for that organization. Exercise it. What does exercise mean? Another word, link. It means I'm doing physical activity. Jaron was sitting, he was running on the treadmill. Are we exercising and using that gift? And then the next word I want to talk about, stewards. Stewards in the Greek is oikonomos, which means m- manager. Are you managing this gift? Which means, interesting word, you don't own the gift. You're just managing it. So in an organization or corporation, and you're a manager. You're responsible. You're accountable. And so if you're managing something in an organization, then you're going to... Look to uplift and grow and serve. So do we recognize we call to employ it? Do we recognize we call to we are stewards and given possession of this? So most believers, this is very little taught. So most believers don't understand. If you don't understand, you're not going to use it. And this is not an option. There's no options here. Serving one another. That's a participle, diaconia. Serving. Present tense, active means serving today, serving tomorrow, serving the next day. Key to the gift of grace given by God that I am managing is to serve one another. How, does, how do all our churches look? Not only this church, but every church. And we'll see the reason to serve one another is to build up the body of Christ for edification. 
So the body is dysfunctional in most churches because we are not individually all using our gifts and serving one another. Each one, one another. So if you don't know about your gift or you're not using your gift, how can you be employing it and how can you be serving one another? It means you're not being functional in that body. It's not called to look with a, a problem of criticism. is to recognize if you're not doing anything and now you see and understand it's now the time that everyone should now become servants or serving one another. Whoever's two, two acts here, just acts, whoever speaks and whoever serves. Two concepts. Speaking, serving, both verbs. Present tense, imperatives. But the key here is not the speaking and serving, it's where is it coming from? Whoever serves, do so according to the utterances of God or the oracles of God. And whoever serves, serves with the strength from coming from God. Can you see where the utterances is? The speaking is from the word of God. The serving is from the strength of God. Can you understand? It is not my human knowledge and skill. It's not my human strength. So he gives us a gift. He empowers us. And he gives us the strength to actually activate that gift. So God Jehovah Jireh, and we say, we don't have anything? And this is a gift of grace? Can you see? I keep on coming to this. Bible school many years ago. Ephesians 1, 3. I've, I've used this verse every time. We have every spiritual blessing in him. The Bible college teacher I always remember said we act like spiritual paupers. If we don't even know what we have and we don't know that we have this, this is all through the strength of God and the word of God, it's not me. And so when you're sharing the gospel, you understanding and you're uttering the word of God, this is God working in you, as I said in 2 Philippians 12. Philippians 2, 12. God who worketh in me to will and to work according to his good pleasure. This God working in me. I have to be just this yielded vessel to say, yes, God, I commit and I surrender and I'm going to work. It's the I ultimately that has to surrender my will to say, God, I am going to do this for you. Why? Out of obedience because of the love of God for us and what he's given us. So that all things God may be glorified. So the, if you're looking at the key, serving one another, glorification of God. When you're utilizing that gift, we're not only serving one another, building one another, we're glorifying God. And ultimately, through, through Jesus Christ. Because he's the one as a sacrifice on the, on the cross. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to break up verses here. Varieties of gifts, two words I want you to focus on. This is how you focus attention. Varieties, same. Two words I want you. Varieties means division. Division of gifts. Varieties, same. Varieties, gifts, same spirit. Varieties of ministries, now ministries, diakonoa, serving, same Lord. Variety of effects, same God. Who worketh all things in all persons. There's the word worketh. So the same, it goes in the reverse direction for the Trinity. Spirit, same spirit, same Lord means Jesus Christ, Kyrios, and same God, Theos. So that tells us there's a harmony and unity of Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit all in unity in relation to this gifts. And providing this gifts. The Spirit is the one who distributes. But there are variety. Point raised here. Each one. That's all I want you to focus on, each one. The way you have to break down the scripture just for teaching those interested in learning. 
is identify keywords, break it down, and identify what they are. And then work, look at the work around it. Think about a sandwich. So I don't use analogy, but when you talk about food, people wake up. <laughs> the food, you've got a slice of bread on one side, you've got a slice of bread on the other side, but the middle is where the food is. So instead of skipping the bread or the, the actual buns when you're eating something, because that's all bad, as talking as a doctor and a cardiologist, that's all bad stuff. That's carbohydrates. That generates obesity. It's the inside, the meat of it. So you've got to get the meat of each verse and then work around that verse to see how it works. That's a beauty. Each one. He's given the manifestation of the Spirit for common good. Each one. Each one. No one is exempt from not having a gift of the Holy Spirit. No one can claim they do not have it. But to one, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, we did that in the first message, the will of the Holy Spirit as a person. But to one and the same Holy Spirit works all these things, distributing to in to each one, individually, just as he wills. That's the will of the Holy Spirit. The will of the Holy Spirit is, let me explain that. He knows each person. He knows your strength. He knows your weaknesses. <coughs> Romans 8.26, for example, we discussed that. First message. And if he knows, he knows what's the best gift to give you. Or gifts. And he knows the church. And he knows what is needed in this church. And he will distribute gifts according to the need of the church. So all we have to do is use those gifts. It's pretty simple, isn't it? When you break down scripture. This is now where division in the churches in their understanding is. This is where some say these gifts are no longer present. No, some say these are present, some say some are present, some are not present. For to one, there's the one. Again, to the one is given the word of wisdom. Watch, it's a word of wisdom through the spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the spirit. So word of wisdom and word of knowledge are both speaking gifts. So when you went to 1 Peter 4.10, it talks about speaking and, speaking and serving. Those two are speaking gifts. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles, another prophecy, another distinguishing of tongues, another prophecy, uh, speaking in tongues, and the other interpretation of tongues. There's nine gifts there. I'll just break them down briefly. Starts with wisdom. God tells us, and the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom, teaches us. But to some people who have the gift of wisdom, they have the supernatural wisdom, the specific wisdom that they can know, they can understand, and they can take that knowledge and understanding of God and apply it in specific situations, whether it's in a need, a suffering, etc. And that person can share to a person in suffering uh, or in need the specific application of that wisdom. Knowledge is basically understanding of the word or insight into the word. And that is above what not necessarily certain people have that gift. Example, when teaching, you ask one of the considerations in teaching is the gift of knowledge, understanding, insight. To another, faith. Faith is everyone you say by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. But the concept in faith is ultimately believing. But some people have this gift of just absolute faith that I could be looking at the same situation, and another could be looking at the same situation. Another has that gift of faith, and there's absolute conviction, absolute trust, absolute belief that in this situation, and I'm looking in there, and I'm seeing questions, raising questions. The gift of absolute confidence, absolute trust, and that's another gift. And you see how the uh, Paul writing Corinthians starting off with, he's not starting off with, the ones that divide us about tongues and prophecy, etc. He starts off with wisdom, knowledge. And this is as the Holy Spirit wills. 
to another gifts of healing by one spirit and to another effecting of miracles. There's the first debate here because this is considered amongst uh, believers no longer valid, no longer, this is only for Old Testament, at least New Testament, original, and then we're presenting evidence for believing the gift. I'll share a little of my personal insight here as a medical doctor, as a cardiologist, just retired after almost 50 years, as someone who's with a PhD, known around the world previously in basic scientific research at, an, at a level looking at cellular level in animals. So I think I can sure understand that when I'm talking, there's some background there. Personally, I can attest to having seen miraculous healing that you cannot explain by science, you cannot explain by humanity, you cannot explain by any knowledge. There's no way I can explain what has happened in that miracle. Has it been common? No. But has it occurred? And have there been instances? Yes. And all I can testify with the background I've got, I, I've got a, and that was brought about by someone with the gift of healing. I've seen several cases or multiple cases of gifts of mental healing, the concept of exorcism where people are possessed by demonic spirits. And I know of two people who basically have that gift of exorcism, of being able, through the power of God given to them, to exercise those demonic spirits. And based on that, the whole family will come to salvation. The whole family comes because they've seen and witnessed the power of God in that act. And the common theme in both of those people I know, to give you two examples, is they are men of prayer on their knees for several hours and men of fasting. Fast not one day, one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. One has the ability to lose 20, 30 pounds in that fasting as they led by the Holy Spirit. So I've seen that. And last thing I would share here is people... We've seen this in Africa. We've seen this in the East. We minister. We have several churches in India that I teach pastors every week. And we visit. And in these countries, they are dealing with demonic forces. There are other religions and idols and demonic forces. And don't take this lightly because our battle is... Scripture tells us it's not with flesh and blood, but with powers of darkness and world forces and spiritual forces of weakness that even entered to heaven. This is our battle. And I think in the Western world, most believers have no understanding of the spiritual battle that's going on in their head and no understanding of demonic forces and no understanding of devil. See, the devil has counterfeited and lulled us into not believing and not understanding and the last thing is these people in foreign lands, they, have, they only know Christ when you. And when I go to India oh, and see these people worshiping, I'm humbled as I sit there because my worship doesn't match them. Anyway, to another prophecy, and that's considered also to be by some past tense because prophecy, there's a technical and a general concept of Prophecy. Technical has been used that it's prophecy by, by prophets in the, in the Old Testament, New Testament. But since they were revealing directly from the word revelation, but since Jesus has come as the ultimate prophet and revelation, book of revelation, there's no need for prophecy. Second, there's a general aspect of prophecy where they're proclaiming. All prophecy means they're proclaiming. And proclamation of truth. You know, if you look at... Uh, Acts 5, 1 to 3, Peter talking to Ananias, he says, why have you allowed the devil to fill your heart? That you held back part of the money that should have been gone to the church. You held it back. Why you allowed the devil to fill, fill you? And that's a demonstration that you looking at that person is able to prophesy about that person, about what's in that person, and that's what we call a revelation. 
and to another distinguishing of spirits. We have to distinguish the spirits because as we call to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, First, Second Corinthians 13, 14 and Philippians 1, 14. 1, 4 or 1, 14, Philippians. And, and, and so the key thing here is men's fellowship, talking to the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit and listening to the Holy Spirit responds to you. And the Holy Spirit gives me thoughts or words and sometime in very infrequently, very rarely in spoken verse, but the words and thoughts will come. And understanding of what should I do will come. And I've got to align those thoughts that I hear, that I assume from the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. And if it's an alignment, then it's verified. And we've got to distinguish spirits. Because Old Testament, New Testament, false prophets, true prophets. New Testament, false teachers, new teachers. The church from Jesus' time and, and the first early church was filled with false teachers. And if you don't believe that, look at what the churches are believing now. Look at what churches are believing presently that they say is in accord with the Word of God. There is no way that what the Word, the inerrant Word of God says here, that these, but it's being believed. So, Obviously, there's no distinguishing there of the spirit, whether it's of God or not of God, but it's accepted in the church and, and you have a problem. To various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues, you either believe in it or you don't believe it. And tongues is a known language. Unity and diversity. I'm already, each week it gets longer and longer. <laughs> That's okay. And you know what? I've been teaching these pastors, just finished teaching pastors in India, 25 of them, for six months on the Holy Spirit. And I'm doing it in five weeks here, five messages, one week. So forgive me. I, I like I always use this. I don't make apology for going long. Because what I'm saying, I know I, we may not hold your attention for each one. But let me explain something. Go back, listen to it. Because if you go back and listen and write, the information is there. And you could decide, and you could understand, and you could learn. And unfortunately, if you're doing an exegetical word-by-word -word breakdown, very few people teach, use a standard of teaching. It's more difficult. Nothing's wrong with the other means, but there's an intensity and depth. So you're not having any let-up from the depth of the word. You understand? And so, but you've got to understand, hey, this is not me. This is the word of God. Unity and diversity. 1 Corinthians 12, essence 12, 26. Here, Paul is writing to believers and he's sharing about the physical body and he's talking about the body of Christ, the church. Okay? Body of believers who believe in the, who are filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, if you look at this, made up of many members, one body made up of many members. You've got a toe, you've got a foot, you've got a hand, you've got a heart, you've got a lungs, you've got a kidneys, liver, etc., and the, it could be stated that there's some, they, it is stated that there are more vital organs in some. The toe is not as so-called important as the heart. And I'm talking as a cardiologist. Because the heart is the ultimate pump. And you, you, your heart doesn't work, you die in many instances. The toe, you can take it out and still have no problem. You may have a problem with balance. Most people don't realize you lose your great toe and you have a balance problem. Simple thing like that. And you could do it without an eye where you're blind, but you're not functioning. The point here, the ultimate point, is different varieties of gift. Some so-called, in human terms, inferior, sometimes superior. If I just take the heart as one example, the heart is actually, although it is considered the most important organ, or one of the most important organs, let me explain to you. The heart pumps blood Average 70 beats a day, 100,000 beats a, 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 sorry, 70 beats a minute, 100,000 beats a, a, a day to every organ of the body. The toe has to get blood from the heart. The blood through the vessels pumping oxygen and nutrients, amino acids, proteins from breakdown products, proteins, glucose, and fatty acids. And the cells, the cells use those nutrients and oxygen to form energy. The energy is used for the cells to function. 
Interesting, many people don't know this. The heart has to deliver blood flow to itself. It's not immune. And most people don't realize that. It has to pump through its arteries to itself. And you block off an artery and you have a heart attack. And that's something that our uh, Pastor Phil experienced. So the understanding, although it's a great organ, the heart transplant is considered to be the greatest surgery in the world. And I was fortunate to work with the surgeon in South Africa before I came here. But it's the absolute servant. There is no greater servant than the heart. It's got to pump and serve the whole body. The great organ that's deemed extremely important is the ultimate servant. And that's why God talks about the heart so much. Similarly, the, similarly, the body of Christ, you've got lesser gifts and you've got so-called greater gifts. But every gift, just like every organ in the body, is important for the function of the body. The physical body is designed and created to have optimal function. If something is not working, it's not going to be optimal function. That's why Paul uses that classic example. He comes back and he says, now, the body of Christ, the lesser members and greater members, and we understand this, we're not looking at who's got the greater gift or lesser gift. That's not the issue. The issue that everyone, each one, has to use the gift for ultimately that the spiritual body of the church to function. Okay, I'm way behind in time, but anyway. Here, this is an appointed, 27, 28, here appointed apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues, some additional gifts given here. The point I want to make here is the key 1 Corinthians 12, 29, 30, are all, all are not apostles, are they? This is a replication. All are not, are they? All are not prophets, all are, are they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Very simple understanding. Someone writing notes, this is called a dem- interrogative participle. It's called interrogative participle. Where the speaker making that statement the expected answer is no. The expected answer is no. Okay? So, the answer there, are all apostles? No. Are all speaking tongues? No. So, the, the concept that to be a believer and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, only those who speak in tongues is a true believer is absolutely incorrect based on the Word of God. And I'll just use this in the Greek to explain very simply, not all, that's how the Greek is originally translated, not all may pass, are they, may, may. Look at those two words, may, may. Not all means not is may, all is pass in the Greek. But then look at them, they say are they, and both the words are they in the Greek is may, may. You can't talk in English like that. That's why that has to get translated. Because you can't say not all apostles, not, not. Someone will think, what's wrong with that guy? But that's the original working from the Greek. So not all apostles, not, not, means no, no. Clear understanding there in all those. Which means that not all people, no person has all the gifts. Ephesians, this is another demonstration now of, of this is the positional uh, gifts. He gave some as apostles and prophets and some as evangelists and pastors and teachers. I'm not going to the gifts, but those are the positions. But then watch what it says in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. For the equipping of saints for the work of service to the building up of the body or edification of the body. So there's, you see, the two key parts there is the gifts are given, those gifts for edifi- to uh, equipping of saints for the work of service, which means each one who is a believer, and for edification of the body, building up the body. Just like serving one another, you're doing two things. 
The saints are being equipped and the body is being built up. This body of believers is being built up into the beauty of God. Three aspects of that. Unity of faith, verse 13. Knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Three things. Reason. Unity of faith. All one faith. United. Two. Knowledge of God. So that each of us will have an understanding of the knowledge, experiential, personal, intimate relationship with God. Kenosis or epigenosis. And ultimately maturity. And the ultimate aspect of Christians, we are called to maturity. Maturity. Like I said last week, we're not called to sinless perfection. Only Jesus is that. No human is sinless perfection. But we're called to maturity and what that in me entails. And that's how you get to maturity. So can you see believers in this church and in every church you got the spiritual gift. These are the endpoints that we're helping each other. Romans 12, 6. I'm just going to be brief on this. Gifts that differ according to the grace given us. There is the grace given to each of you. And then it goes through the gifts. Several gifts. And there's gifts here that you begin to see that may have not been explained. Exhortation. That's a gift of exhorting. Giving means giving financial. Leading, administration. Mercy. With cheerfulness. So mercy is like understanding, like compassion. Showing mercy to another. And compassion to another. When they're going through the suffering. Leading, leading with diligence. Leading with, under the Blessing of the Lord, leading under the control of the Lord. The last aspect I want to share here, and we're concluding it here. Spiritual love. I've, I've just determined that spiritual love. Employ or exercise gifts with love. And this part is frequently left out completely. You may be given a spiritual gift, but if you don't want to exercise it in love, that spiritual gift is no value. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 3. I'm not going to go there. You, talk, you, talk, you, you speak in tongues but have no love. You're like a loud gong, symbol or empty gong. Nothing. So the whole essence of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 3 is without the love, the gift is being misused or abused or is of meaningless value. And so it's a Last slide, but we'll do one more. It's interesting. All these four books I've gone into, but watch the close association with the gifts. 1 Peter 4.10, 11, 4 Peter 4.8. Fervent in your love for one another. <coughs> fervent in your love for one another. Are we fervent in our love for one another? Or we fall short? We fall short all the time. But God exhorts us. That's what he needs us. Fervent in love. Fervent is like having a boiling kettle in the Greek. And that kettle is on hot in the inside and bubbling. And that's that love coming from the inside. That's fervent. Ooh. Romans 12.10. Romans 12.6-8. Devoted to one another in brotherly love. Are we in brotherly love? Ephesians 4.1-2. It's the beginning of Ephesians. Gifts were for showing forbearance to one another in love. And ultimately, the ultimate, 1 Corinthians 1 to 13, love. You know, it's, if someone says something to me or there's, there's one comment of love, just one of, there's 16 components of love. So I knew everyone should know those 16 components because that's the greatest commandment. Love. So unless the gift is expressed in love, it's meaningless. So what's our love of life like, look like? Not our life, but the spiritual love of Christ. In conclusion, it's been a long talk. I'm going to leave you, someone's writing down, I want you to write down four words for me. Very simple. First word, four. A, child, a little child can do this. The second word, in. Third word, And. Fourth word, if. 
I'm not going to explain those words, but I'm going to explain, give you the verse. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Four. First John 4.10, In God is love. In him is love. Not that we loved him, but he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation or a mercy seat or as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins and not only sins of ours, but the sins of the whole world. In him is love. And Second John 4, uh, verse 6, only one chapter. And this is love, that we should walk in his commandments. The commandments that you have heard, that you should walk in him. There's the end for love. And the final, Jesus talking, John 14, verse 15. We did that verse. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If the four in the end, and if, so love, obedience flows out of love. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share your word. And Father, we just humble by your word and come as that song said, surrender, that we surrender to you and yield to you and submit to you. And Father, enable us through the power of your Holy Spirit to say, I will act out God, his power, his spirit in my life. We pray a special blessing for each believer here and each one here, that you would touch their hearts in, in understanding and also in expressing the love of Christ, the love of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart.